Everybody, welcome to the Roadie on the Horn podcast. We are sponsored by the Hope That Check West. We'll someday come on this podcast. Of course, this is episode 34. Today is September 25th at time of recording. It's a great day today because we're hanging out. We're talking about sports. And I'm joined by one of my great friends, Donnie. Donnie, how are you doing today, man? You know, I'm good. Uh, every day is a great day. Uh, you know, if you wake up, life is good. Um, but yeah, you know, just hanging out. Uh, we have some some playoff hockey and playoff basketball on right now, so uh, always a fun time. If you see me looking over as I do every week, um, it's watching sports. Uh, I'm not even watching the Dodgers this week. Already clinched uh, subtle flex there. But yeah, uh, we have we have very very good sports on for uh, for another week where just things seem like there's just more and more to watch every time we do one of these podcasts. Honestly, yeah, that is for sure. It seems like. I, I, I want to knock on wood before I say this, but some of the coronavirus talk has kind of dwindled lately. We've been actually focusing on sports. Uh, I know last podcast we touched on all four major sports leagues. We're going to do that again today, so really looking forward to that. Obviously, we have a bunch of listener questions later on, but I want to start our podcast today talking about the NFL again. Another week in the books this past week. Another week where the Eagles lost. That did not look too good. They lost at home to the Rams, so... That is a tough one this Sunday. They have the Cincinnati Bengals at home. So uh, we will see if the Eagles can bounce back. Obviously, that is a note for me. But actually, I want to focus here first on the NFC West. I know this was a division when we previewed the NFL a few podcasts ago that Donnie and I felt was one of the strongest in the NFL. And so far to this point, that has held true. Kyler Murray has really gone off for the Arizona uh, Arizona Cardinals. He and DeAndre Hopkins have uh, already developed a really good chemistry. Arizona is 2-0, along with Seattle, who had a really good game on Sunday night, a win over the New England Patriots, also sitting at 2-0, and then the LA Rams beating both the Cowboys and Eagles so far. So uh, interesting that the 49ers are, are the only team uh, not in that. They are 1-1 and and had a ton of injuries. But uh, NFC West, definitely one of the top divisions in football. Uh, what have you seen from some of those teams so far, Donnie? Uh, you know, the 49ers may have uh, ended their season a little bit early last week, obviously, with uh, some massive injuries to Bosa. Uh, Garoppolo's out for a couple weeks, I think. Mostert's out. Thomas is out. They've got maybe the worst injury game I've ever seen from a team ever. Um, I can't say that for sure, uh, just off of short memory. But you have to really think that the Niners probably came in the year thinking, oh, you know, we could definitely win 10, 11 games, win the division, make a run. And now at this point, they're probably like, oh, you know, um, this season is fucked. And you have to feel bad for Niners fans in general. Because um, obviously last week uh, was maybe the biggest week of injuries we've seen in sports in a long time. And especially with football. Football, you don't really see that many guys, important guys go out. But it seems like the Niners got absolutely shafted, which is, I, I mean... Uh, maybe the grass or maybe the turf at MetLife, whatever is, uh, you know, maybe it's bad. Uh, apparently it's been checked like dozens of times the last year. And then they did another check on it and it was fine. Um, but I, I want to start by premising this by saying, I think the Niners, uh, I feel bad for them. I feel bad for Niners fans. I feel bad for te- players on the team. I feel bad for Garoppolo and Bosa and all these guys that got injured. It's just, you don't want to see that, especially in a season like this, that we know is kind of rushed together and, I mean, we kind of expected injuries, but nothing like this. Yeah, this past weekend, there was just so many injuries. I mean, Christian McCaffrey, and uh, another big name as well. Drew Locke for 
the Broncos, so many, so many unfortunate injuries. Going back to the Niners, George Kittle, he was out week two for the Niners already, and it sounds like he's going to be out again. So uh, a lot of big names, unfortunately, uh, we saw injured this past weekend. Yeah, um, Saquon Barkley, uh, Giants fans who, who do decide to watch the podcast, uh, we're not going to talk about that very often, <laughs> very much this week. Um, it's depressing. The, the Giants are depressing. Uh, at this point, I'm pretty sure they have the least amount of points scored of any team in the NFL, uh, which isn't shocking. Uh, after what occurred, um, you know, you, you lose your best player. That's how it goes. But, um, yeah, I don't know. The NFC West is very interesting. Uh, you know, obviously, we've seen teams like the Rams show us that the NFC East is poverty. And that's okay. I'm fine with that. We knew that was going to happen in the, in the beginning of the year. Um, obviously, they, they kicked the shit out of the Philly last week and then Dallas week one. Um, but, yeah, I don't. It's everything we we expected. It's what it was built to be, honestly. It's like, this is going to be a race all year. These divisional games are going to be so fantastic. Uh, must watch football every week, almost, in my opinion, at least. Yeah, definitely agree with that. Obviously, it's very nice to have football kind of kicking into gear. Uh, this upcoming week, we have Chiefs and Ravens coming up. So uh, that'll be one of the marquee matchups really throughout this entire season. So uh, really looking forward to that. But uh, yeah, just wanted to touch on some teams that are doing good over there in the NFC West. Donnie and I, uh, our teams, the Giants and Eagles, not as strong. We know the NFC East not doing too hot. So uh, interesting there, initial NFL observations. But we're going to move on get to some other sports that are going on. I want to go over to baseball now. We talked last week in a little bit more depth about Donnie's Dodgers. I think they're the best team in baseball right now. They have by far the best run differential, which is uh, one of my favorite metrics for teams. They are sitting at plus 126. Nesbeck's team is the San Diego Padres all the way down at plus 78. So uh, Dodgers really kicking it so far this year. But yeah, I mean, we knew there was going to be some weird things going on. The Miami Marlins, they're making the playoffs. The Toronto Blue Jays in the AL. The Chicago White Sox are one of the best teams in the AL. Uh, as well. So uh, lots going on over there in baseball. But uh, yeah, Donnie, any other observations on on what we've seen in, in development over there the last little bit here in the MLB? You know, uh, I don't know. The Dodgers are very interesting. Every team in the league has flaws. They make mistakes. It's how it goes. It's literally how sports work. And this year is a lot of the same with baseball. But if you had told me at the beginning of the year that the White Sox would be this good and the Rays would win the AL and, you know, we'd see teams like the Padres be incredible. Um, you tell me the Giants are making the playoffs potentially. You know, I'd be sitting there like, oh, you're out of your, you're out of your mind. Um, but again, that, that's what happens with the COVID season, the extended playoffs. I think this was to be expected. And as of now, we're lined up to have some really incredible matchups. It's like if the playoffs started today, we would have the A's and the Astros play, which would just be incredible considering they've been um they've, they've been getting at it uh this year they've had they've had some brawls and such um a lot of bad blood there um we'd see the white Sox play the yankees which would be fun the twins and the indians which would just be incredible uh raise blue jays in the al right now uh as it's as it stands uh so we're seeing divisional matchups and then in the nl it's like dodgers giants it's classic you know maybe the, the giants are not a very good team um but you know, it's just interesting to see things like this. And as you said, the Marlins, uh, who I bet on to be under 25 and a half wins this year, obviously did not happen. Um, I don't think anybody expected them to be that good, especially after COVID hit. Um, but yeah, and it's like, I don't know. The NL is so weird this year. It's like we have the Braves in the number two seed playing a Reds team, potentially that I would say the Reds are probably as good or better than the Braves in terms of at least like a three game series to start off. It's like, you have to think um, we're going to see some upsets, I think. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think the Reds is actually a good pick by you as a team that could see some potential 
uh, upsets. I know the Reds are a team that I'm a big fan of their pitching staff. I think they have some really good starters. Trevor Bauer specifically has had a really, really good year. And I think they've done some nice job uh, adding some pieces into that bullpen as well. So uh, definitely a good shout out. Could be a sleeper there with the Reds. But yeah, I mean, overall takeaways, like you said, Donnie, so many potential divisional matchups that we could see uh, early on in the playoffs. That one's really interesting. The first one that you mentioned, A's-Astros. Uh, I know for me personally, this one would be a really interesting matchup just because Given the context of, of recent seasons, the Astros, they had kind of beaten up on Oakland the last couple of years. Then obviously you have the Astros cheating scandal. And now Oakland is suddenly uh, having a much better season than the Astros. So that would be a very interesting matchup in the first round, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see the A's make a run for once. Um, I think if they're going to do it, this year would be the year. Um, and especially if they started off by beating the Astros, it proves you can beat just about anybody. Although the Astros are a farce of what they were last year and prior years, partially due to them not being able to know what's coming at them, partially due to Verlander being hurt and losing Garrett Cole and then Grinke's not as good. Um, but yeah, I think it's really interesting to see some teams make these runs and show themselves as true, like show their true colors. Like the White Sox, for example, I, I know you are a big White Sox fan just, just as a, as a fan Chicago baseball fan. fan. That's what I classify myself yeah, Chicago, as. Chicago baseball yeah. fan. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, I think the White Sox are an interesting team. It's like, obviously, you don't want to see them play the Yankees in round one. That's that's the opposite of, of what you're looking for. Um, but I think the White Sox have proven to us that you can build correctly and just wait on your youth, little by little, bring them up, see what happens, uh, progress these guys. And now it's like their lineup is incredible. It's like they have two NL MVP, or AL MVP candidates in Anderson and Abreu just out of nowhere almost it's like I, I think we, we all knew how good Abreu and Anderson were um in the first place but now it, having that in the lineup with with um obviously with Luis uh, and, and guys of that caliber they are a young team that is like maybe gonna be really dangerous for like the next decade or more which is crazy to think about considering the White Sox have been a, a what I would call a cesspool of mediocrity of the last like couple of years at least yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. I mean, it seemed like the White Sox, they kind of went the route where, of, you know what, we're just going to kind of tank here for a little bit. They had Chris Sale a few years ago, traded him away, and they'd made that some of those other similar decisions. Adam Eaton as well was another player they traded away, Jose Quintana. But now the White Sox are finally starting to see some of the results on some of those guys that they acquired in some of those deals. Eloy Jimenez, another name of a player who's been really good for them. Obviously, Yon Makata, he was one of the big pieces coming over from the Chris Sale trade. So uh, I think the White Sox really kind of did it right in terms of we're just going to kind of rebuild, build it through our farm system, get some really high-end prospects, and now they're finally starting to see some of those results in their lineup. And I think it's gone better than really anybody could have imagined. I saw potential with this White Sox lineup to be better, but I don't think anybody saw them being one of the most dangerous lineups in all of baseball. And consistent. That's the thing. You don't find consistency like that. It, it's very, very, I, I don't know. It, it's really interesting to see guys perform out of nowhere. And I feel like we've got that primarily out of just almost everybody in the lineup. Even like we've seen Giolito take a step. Um, obviously, Keiko's having a good year. You don't know if you can necessarily rely on him. Even like Dylan Season and guys like that. They, the youth is... It's they're not just there; they're leading the team. They they are carrying them to where they are right now, which is huge. Um, and and totally not what I was expecting in the first place. Yeah, definitely agree with that. With the White Sox, they've been uh, definitely one of the more surprising teams in baseball. But yeah, any other general thoughts on baseball as we kind of get ready for for postseason action to start hitting up here, Donnie? Uh, you know, I think there will be certain teams that benefit off of their matchups quite uh, significantly. Obviously, uh, the Cubs play the Marlins. I don't think the Marlins are legit. I could be wrong. 
Um, you know, they've had a really, really nice year, but that division is just so bad um, that if the Marlins do end up sneaking in and, and getting the, the number two spot uh, in their division, I think they'll get they'll get slapped. It's a nice sentiment and everything, but it's like we're going to see some teams that really shouldn't be here yet. Um, at, at least, I, I don't know. It's like I don't think the Giants deserve a playoff spot. It looks like they could sneak in. Um, if you had told me the Giants would be making the playoffs this year, I would have told you you're batshit out of your mind fucking crazy. And... You know, especially because they've cut some of their guys throughout the years. Got like Pablo Sandoval was literally DFA'd after being their opening day or, or one of their starters for the majority of the year. It's like this is just it's a team that's just working with what they got, I guess, and it's going okay for them. I don't know, um, but yeah, I think we could definitely see some teams get absolutely slapped. Um, three game series, it's very hard to keep up. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, especially with the Marlins. I know I mentioned run differential as a big positive for the Dodgers. Miami Marlins, their run differential, even though they've already clinched a playoff berth, is minus thirty nine. I mean, they've just, like, I don't even understand how they're in the position that they're in when I see something like that. Like, they've been outscored by 39 runs, and they're making the playoffs. So, uh, I'm not the biggest believer in the Cubs. I think the Cubs have kind of just been riding that hot start that they had at the beginning of the year. They were over 10 games, over 500, and they've kind of just been playing average baseball since. But uh, I think that matchup with the Marlins would really suit well for them. Yeah, and if you get through the first round, you can get through any round, I think, at this point. Um, you know, baseball is very random. A lot of things can happen, and it's not like the Cubs haven't been here. They have the talent to do it. They just need guys to step up. They need uh, Baez and Chris Bryant, guys like that, to, to first off be completely healthy, um, which is uh, harder or easier said than done, and then they need them to actually perform. It's like, you know, Javi Baez is having one of the down years that all a bunch of the other superstars are having, and, you know, he is more important to their team than just about anybody at this point, so... Um, I, but I wouldn't be shocked if the Cubs end up winning the round one and then they, they went a little heater there. It's like, you know, we've seen the Cubs do this over and over where they can, they can put together a, a couple, a couple weeks worth of baseball. That's just impeccable almost. So, um, obviously the bullpen's tough, but you know, anything can happen in the playoffs and that's, what yeah, I know. Time. I just kind of, uh, went off on the Cubs. I don't think they're necessarily a team that I would pick to go all the way, but I do see some potential. I will give them a little bit of credit here. I think David Ross has done a really nice job in his first year. I wasn't crazy about that hire for the Cubs, but, uh, I actually am definitely impressed with what I've seen from David Ross this year. I think he's, uh, definitely made some good decisions to put the Cubs in a position like this. So, uh, good breakdown there for baseball. We're super pumped for postseason baseball to come back. Obviously, Donnie and I, both of our teams will be involved in that. So, uh, we look forward to that out of baseball, but we can shift over to now a league that is in the finals, both the NBA and NHL are in their finals right now, but I want to start with NBA first or NBA is at least in conference final. We're, we're close, but uh yeah Donnie Lakers obviously they're playing good basketball I'm thinking the Lakers are winning it all I've been saying this now for a little bit but uh yeah do you want to just shine some more light on how well the Lakers are playing uh the thing with the Lakers that I haven't seen out of the last couple of years that I'm seeing now is their ability to adapt um it's it's like so last game they played Dwight Howard uh instead of JaVale McGee in the roles uh, where JaVale would usually be out there grabbing rebounds and trying to play defense. This year, we've seen Dwight Howard play um, some more important roles than thought, because it's like, even last year, you could have said, I think Dwight Howard's done. I think Dwight Howard's going to be end, end up retiring or whatever. And now, uh, just months or a year after, um, he is now one of the key players on a team that is the favorite to win it all. Uh, I, if you had told me that, I would have been like, yeah, there's, there's no shot. But uh, you can say that about a lot of players. It's like, obviously, Anthony Davis and LeBron James, you know what you're getting. You're getting superstardom out of both of them. But it's like, who would have thought Rajon Rondo would be the key to a series against anybody in 2020, let alone a team 
with, with Jamal Murray, who is, again, just showing himself as one of the best players in the league, I, you couldn't have told me that. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have stuck with that. I wouldn't have believed you. Uh, but at this point, I think it's very, very factual and very, very true to say the teams that adapt and the teams that know how to play playoff basketball, it, it's different. Playoff basketball, regardless of if you have a crowd, regardless of if you're in the bubble, it's different. And I think we've seen the Lakers be able to adapt and get scoring and performances out of guys like Rondo, Howard, KCP. Danny Green shows up every once in a while. Um, it's it, Being able to get those secondary scorers or tertiary scorers in basketball is so clutch, especially because most teams in the NBA are eight or nine deep at this point. So the fact that the Lakers can bring off guys off the bench, just about anybody can play. It's like if they had to bring J.R. Smith out there, I wouldn't be confident, but he could perform. Yeah, I definitely agree. Depth is something that Donnie and I talk a lot about in a bunch of different sports as being something that is very important for a championship caliber team. So that's been a definite strength for the Lakers this year. Donnie mentioned Rondo and Dwight Howard. I think those two players especially uh, are good shouts for that. But I do have a follow-up question for you on this, Donnie. So obviously when we're talking about a team with LeBron James on it, it's very clear that it's LeBron's team even though Anthony Davis is playing up to that level as well. But it just seems like LeBron has such a, a impact on the game, obviously, when he's out there. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts, Donnie, on Frank Vogel, how he's done as head coach uh, first year for the Lakers. I do think that if you are Frank Vogel, you have been blessed into the easiest job in basketball because LeBron is generally the coach of the team. Um, while he is not necessarily leading the team all the time, you know LeBron is going to be the, the game is rolling around LeBron. Every Laker game rolls around LeBron. Obviously, um, you know he, he locked into getting Anthony Davis as well, who is an incredible talent, does it all um, top to bottom. Really doesn't have any flaws. Um, a guy that could have very well won Defensive Player of the Year this year, while being an offensive superstar, one of the more underrated players in the game at this point, because people don't really talk about him as an MVP candidate when he could have very well won MVP pretty easily, I would have said. Obviously, Giannis had an incredible year, but um, Vogel does a good job knowing how to adapt, and that's something the Lakers have not had since Phil Jackson was coach. Um, obviously, we've had they've ran through quite a few mediocre head coaches, uh, and uh, again, we've talked about this multiple times now. <coughs> uh, excuse me, uh, talented head coaches in basketball, uh, they really make all the difference, like as we've seen in the East, Spolstra, Stevens, both incredible what they do and obviously i was a little skeptical that spolster would be able to keep up this this kind of talent uh, i don't know just how good he's been as a coach without lebron and wade and all those guys and yet here they are in the driver's seat potentially going to be going to the finals so uh you you really need some sort of aspect of coaching and i think frank vogel brings a veteran aspect of coaching and lebron seems to respect him which is something that is i mean maybe shouldn't be hard to find but I mean, LeBron has been coached by a lot of idiots over his time. Um, mostly in Cleveland. Yeah, mostly in Cleveland, for sure. <laughs> um, but you, you have to give him, you have to give Vogel credit for being able to not only, not it, it, there's a lot of hype around the Lakers. The Lakers were very, very clearly the team to beat out West. Obviously, the Clippers were up there for at some point. But being the favorite, it's a little bit different of a vibe. You have to keep your team energized and keep your team in it. It's like we've seen the Lakers blow some game ones here and there. But they bounce back all the time, and they're dominant when they do bounce back. It's like they win four straight or three out of five um, or three out of four, and then they win game six. It's you know, it, it's nice to see 
coaches in general, you don't, I don't know if how much of an impact they make with guys like LeBron, but it seems like Vogel really knows how to use his rotation, really knows how to work players in at the right times and get the most out of his guys. And that's all you're looking for out of a basketball coach at this point, I think. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think kind of the point that I was making there is I feel like we're not hearing all these people, oh, Frank Vogel, he's terrible, he's messing up. I think he's just doing his job. I think he deserves a little bit of credit. So I uh, like what I've seen out of Frank Vogel. Then I'll just make a note here, Eastern Conference Finals, Boston. Uh, they are currently up on Miami as we are recording right now. They should be forcing a game six here. So uh, nice to see that series go a little bit more distance. Miami went out to that 3-1 lead and the series still obviously have a good opportunity to close it out. But uh, any thoughts on from your perspective, Donnie, as a Lakers fan, if there is a team between Boston and Miami that you would rather face here? I don't know. I'd probably rather play Miami because I think Boston is a little bit deeper of a team, a little bit more talented up top. Um, but Miami is making what I would consider a Cinderella run. I don't think anybody really expected them to be one of the favorites. I think if, if you ask people, oh, who you think is going to win the East is here, uh, definitely would have been the Bucks or the Raptors or the Celtics. Um, and, you know, playing a team like that with hungry, hungry young players and then Jimmy Butler, who is always hungry, getting out of the mud um, type player, it is it is a tough game. So I, I don't know if there's necessarily a right answer to this question. I think I'd probably rather play the Heat because they're a little bit younger, a little less experienced. And I mean, it's like, I don't know exactly what they would do um, to, to try to stop a LeBron type player. Um, but at this point, I don't. I don't know if it necessarily matters. I think if you're if you're a Lakers fan in general, you should just be rooting for them to win, and then whoever they play, they'll find the way. Because it's with what they've done, uh, round one against Portland, and then they did they dominated Houston, which is a team that people were saying, oh, Houston could give them a run for their money, and then Houston did not look very good. Um, and then this series, people were saying, oh, the Nuggets could definitely give them a series, and the Nuggets have given them a series, given them credit, but um the lakers just always seem to outmatch whoever they play and i don't think it'll be any different in the finals i I could be wrong it could be a six or seven game series i wouldn't shock me it's how the nba works but um if i'm a laker fan right now i think i'm rooting for the heat to win um more or less just to get the series you know get 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 this get the finals started like we we need something here uh it seems like this nba playoff has dragged on a little bit um obviously they've been alternating days with games and such so i mean it, it seems like it's taken a while um but yeah, it would be nice to finally get to the nitty gritty and get the two best teams match up against each other in the finals. Yeah, in agreement with you on there. I would think uh, kind of my response to that, I think the Eastern Conference Finals, they both Boston and Miami, they're like, come on, Denver. We're really rooting for Denver here. We don't want to play the Lakers. I think the Lakers are, uh, they'll place anybody that comes their way. They're not uh, really too scared on that. So uh, good conversation there with the NBA. Should be uh, an exciting finals nonetheless as the Conference Finals are wrapping up here. But we can now shift our final sport that we're going to hit on today, the NHL. They are in the Stanley Cup Final. Actually, Lightning Stars is going on right now as we are recording as well. That game is about to head to overtime, so maybe when we get into questions, we'll have an answer for who won that uh, game. So that could be exciting. We Live podcasting again. We have another another exciting moment here. But it's been a good series so far, Donnie. Lightning up 3-1. to one. They have a chance here. Or, or light, light, lightning up, uh, lightning up two to one. I'm, I'm mistaken here. But anyways, thoughts they, here. They could be up three. Yeah, one. they could. We'll, we'll find out shortly. That is the excitement of this podcast that you already know the answer who won the game. But it's exciting for us. So here we go. I ex- extended that question way too long. But Danny, give me some thoughts here on the NHL. Um, I, I don't know. I still tend to lean towards the Lightning being the team to win, even if they end up losing uh, and tying up the series at two in, in a game three or, or a three game series. Uh, the Lightning will bring back Stamkos. Uh, they play back-to-back, so that's probably why he's not playing tonight. Um, I think the Lightning are just that much deeper and that much better. And again, uh, you've been saying it all playoffs. It boils down to goaltending. And I think I'd rather have Vasilevsky in the crease over anybody, let alone Anton Udovin, who is a career backup or a career 30-35 game 
a seasoned guy. Um, I, I don't know. Dallas is making what I would consider a miracle run as well. Um, not necessarily one of the teams that I was high on. Not one of the teams I would have picked to make this this great run or anything. Um, but you have to give them credit. I, I don't know. I'm really not sure exactly how to pick this because I feel like the bubble bubble hockey has been so random and so out of just, just out of whack that, you know, if Dallas ended up winning the Stanley Cup, he'd be like, eh, you know, reasonable, fine. You know, they made it this far. They played well. Um, but, but yeah, uh, I don't know. I'm sure you have some opinions, on, especially on Vasilevsky, because I know you love talking about him. Uh, what are your thoughts so far? Yeah, we were talking before we started recording here kind of about that goaltending situation, and kind of our thought was, well, you look at Andre Vasilevsky, obviously this is a player that is a Vesna caliber player and is playing behind one of the most – uh, best defensive units with a ton of depth with Tampa. And then you go on the other side of Dallas, which is another team with, again, a very, very good defense, but it's Anton Kudobin and that not a player who has necessarily been one of the more consistent goalies in the NHL over the last little bit. Although you definitely have to give him his credit for how he's played uh, so far in the playoffs. But kind of the point we were kind of getting at there was if say Vasilevsky and Kudobin were in different spots, you put Vasilevsky on Dallas, you put Kudobin on Tampa. I feel like Tampa would have an opportunity to kind of bring up with Kadobin and, and kind of bring over that and, and overcome uh, the less talent in net, if you will. But obviously that's not the situation. So you definitely give the edge to Tampa uh, when it comes to the net. So uh, that's just kind of some thoughts there on that. I definitely, I think Tampa is going to end up winning the series. I think that's, uh, I know that was Donnie's pick and something that I thought after Colorado got eliminated. So uh, I'm definitely still buying in on the lightning here. Yeah. Which I think most people are. I think if you had pulled people, it'd be like 70, 30 Tampa, uh, it just feels like it's their year, and uh, obviously we'll know if it's their year in, within the next half hour or so, hopefully, in overtime one, because uh, if Tampa wins, I don't just don't see Dallas being able to come back down 3-1, although we've seen crazier things happen, so uh, you can't really count on anybody, especially in the Stanley Cup final, but I think Tampa, is, they look like they're on a mission this year. They have so much production and so much scoring from all these different guys. It's like, Yanni Gord is always on the score sheet. It seems like every game he's doing something... Um, and then obviously you add in Braden Point is just incredible. Braden Point has been fantastic the entire playoff. Stamkos came back, played a period, scored a goal last game. Yeah, great shot like, on that goal. I was going to bring that up. Victor Hedman has double-digit goals in the playoffs this year. It's like you're getting so much production out of these guys. It feels like it's almost fate for a team like that to win. Yeah, in agreement with you on that one. Just seems like Tampa has way too much talent. They're going to get their cup. I'm thinking this is the year, and I'll give a shout-out to John Cooper as well. I think he has done a nice job there with Tampa, but great roster. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of our thoughts there as it relates to the NHL. We'll, we'll give you an answer in, in a little bit on, on who wins this game in overtime, unless it goes a million overtimes, even though you already know. But, yeah, it's, it's exciting, exciting for Donnie and I here. Yeah, I mean, we're having a good time. I mean, you listening are probably just hearing where, where these idiots rambling, but, like, you know, the game has... has it goes into overtime one in about four minutes, I think. So we really have no idea. I think the podcast has been going on for a little bit longer. So it's like, obviously, we got time for this. Um, but, but, you know, uh, a little bit. I mean, we're, we're on a cliffhanger like you'll be on a cliffhanger uh, watching the game live. Uh, so you just have to deal with us right now. We don't have anything. We just record on the whim, basically. So it's like, I got I got pizza. We scheduled uh, 8.15 my time. And then, you know, here we are talking about sports. It's 9.10, 10.10 his time. And we're just, we're having a good time. And that's all you can ask for right now. Oh, as we are, we will update on you as we get there. But we do have a bunch of listener questions to get to uh, this week. We got a bunch on Twitter. So uh, super excited for that. But we're going to start here. Bunch of questions from our friend Scotty G. As always, Scotty G., Always ask questions on our podcast. We love it. But we're going to start Oklahoma Sooner Thought from Scotty G right here. He says, 
Thoughts on Spencer Rattler's first start with the Sooners. He has more touchdown passes than incompletions. That is true. Oklahoma's first game was against Missouri State. They destroyed him. Spencer Rattler's stat line, 14 of 17, so three incompletions, and he had four touchdowns. So uh, that math checks out. Good job on Scott for being correct. Fact check you, but you got it. Oklahoma this Saturday, they face Kansas State, who lost to Arkansas State in the first round. So uh, I expect more sooner. Big 12 dominance again this year. But yeah, Spencer Rattler, he looks solid. I'm not going to go crazy. It was Missouri State, but uh, I definitely thought he looked good in that game. So uh, shout out to the Sooners there. But yeah, Donnie, any 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 thoughts on, on the Oklahoma Sooners or Spencer Rattler? You know, wake me up when he plays a real team. We'll talk. Like, just yeah. And, and I, I don't even teams. think you're getting that on Saturday again. Kansas State, they lost to Arkansas State. So I mean, is that even a real team? I yeah, yeah I can't you know, even wake say. Wake me up when they play Texas. When they play Texas, it's like they'll probably piss on Texas. But you know, wake probably me up when they play Texas. Yeah, Texas is way overrated. They should not be in the top ten. But we'll get to that another time. So OU's looking good. We appreciate that one. Scott's got a few more. He says here. In 2010, the Boston Bruins scored three shorthanded goals on the same penalty kill. Can this be beaten? So I went back. I looked it up again. I was I was testing stuff, but again, he was correct here. So on April 10th, 2010, Boston scored three shorthanded goals in a win over the Carolina Hurricanes in a span of 64 seconds. So three shorthanded goals in a little over a minute. That again, that has never ever happened again since in the NHL. That's crazy. And that win clinched the Bruins a playoff spot in the 2010 playoffs. So uh, yeah, that was pretty wild. Can this be beaten? Was Scott's question here? I just, I, I very, very doubt that it can be beaten because, again, to beat it, you would need four shorthanded goals in the same penalty. I, I, they're, they're, the three, uh, enough, that just seemed crazy, and, and it's only happened once with the Bruins here. So uh, I'm going to go with no. I don't think there's ever going to be a time when we have four shorthanded goals on the same power play for a team in the NHL. Yeah, you know, maybe tie three, it, it would be it would be very, very tough. I think we see, we see two every once in a while. I'd say, like, Maybe maybe three or four times a year at that, um, but yeah, I, I just four shorthanded goals it just doesn't it, I don't know like teams don't there's a lot of teams that don't score four shorties in like a month of hockey let alone in an actual game so um, I'd say probably not at this point. Uh, that's an incredible feat in general. I don't remember it. I'm glad that he brought it up because I'm gonna go look it up after this. But you know, I really I, I I would be so shocked if somebody scored four goals on the same on the same penalty kill. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you on that, Donnie. I think we could see a tie. I think three is kind of like the max, I'm thinking, for three shorthanded goals in the same penalty kill. But uh, yeah, I'm going to go with no, that it will not be beaten. So uh, interesting thought there from Scott, a hockey event from a decade ago, and he brought it up here. So uh, good stuff there. Next one, another hockey thought here from Scott. He says, favorite and most memorable goal call that was not for your favorite team. So excluding Blackhawks for me and Rangers for Donnie, but I am going to pick a former Ranger and one of my favorite goals of all time. It was Rick Nash for the Columbus Blue Jackets. He scored a shorthanded goal. Speaking of shorthanded goals, but shorthanded goal for Columbus right at the end of that game. And it was, it was like Rick Nash, what a move, another nice move. What a goal is it, it was a really nice goal for Rick Nash. Uh, you'll see it on the video. I'll clip it up here, but uh, yeah, I really like that goal from Rick Nash, and it was a nice call as well. So, uh, easy decision for me on that one. You know, speaking of shorties, it uh, looks like Dallas on the power play right now at the start of the period. Okay, um, live podcasting. So, there you go. L- live podcasting. Um, I'm going to go with one that is just totally weird. Uh, as Patrick Kane scoring the Stanley Cup winning goal against the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, Nobody knew what was happening. All the announcers were like, oh, is it in the net? I'm not sure. I think he saved it. Oh, it's in the net. And then you see them celebrating. Everything's just so strange. It's like... I don't know, something like that, something about calls that are not called correctly, like these weird, strange calls that are just so, I, I don't know, out of the ordinary, it, it piques your interest, and it's like, obviously, that's an iconic goal, it's, it's one of the, 
more memorable goals the last couple of decades. Um, but yeah, I think at this point, it's got to be that. It's just such a strange situation that I don't think we're going to really ever see again with all technology and everything. It's like you can't really find that game in HD um, or like really, really high quality. Whereas now it's like we have puck tracking uh, and all that. So we know if it's in the net and, and you know. I don't know. I'll go with, obviously, you know, you'll see the video um, when we clip it on our Twitter. But, uh, yeah, I would go with Patrick Kane slipping one through and one of the most, I don't know, magical random goals in the history of sports, I'd say. Yeah, that is one of the most insane goals to look back on. Literally, a team just won the Stanley Cup in overtime, and nobody even knew it happened except for Patrick Kane, the goal scorer. That was uh, definitely wild. Not even the announcers. They were stunned as well. So, uh, obviously, that's a good moment for me. It broke the uh, long drought that the Blackhawks had in 2010. So, uh, good good memory there for Donnie. So, uh, appreciate that one. Next one here from Scott. He says, up until 2017, no number eight seed in the Big Four, MLB, NBA, NFL, and NHL, had ever swept a number one seed. This has now happened twice in three years in the NHL, with Nashville over Chicago in 2017 and Columbus over Tampa in 2019. So does the NHL have the most parity for all of the Big Four leagues? And I agree with this. This was a very well-written question, again, from Scott, so good stuff. But I just think there's there's even other things to go along with the fact that the NHL uh, has so much parity in that we have had the most number of 3-0 comebacks uh, in the NHL as well. That has never happened in the NBA. It's happened uh, a few times already in the NHL. So uh, I do think that there is definitely a lot of parity. Hockey is just such a random sport in general that uh, it's so hard to have um, such a sustained period of success uh, and, and those two series in particular were kind of strange uh, between Nashville and Chicago uh, and Columbus and Tampa in 2019. I think those were both kind of still surprises for, for everybody that the eight seed uh, had swept the one seed in, in those circumstances. But uh, yeah, to your point here, definitely think there's a lot of parity going on in the NHL relative to the other leagues. Yeah, I think the one thing you have to realize about the NHL in general is eight seeds are still pretty good usually. Like, we have teams that are near 100-point teams in the NHL. Obviously, sweeping a series, that's a little bit uh, that's shocking. Like, you know, last year, Columbus and Tampa was absolutely insane for me, uh, in, in my thought process at least. But at this point, you have to kind of think, like, you know, the NHL and the NBA are so far off in terms of, like, what you actually would expect out of them. It's like, so in the NBA, the eight seeds are usually, like, 500 or even worse teams and they're playing against super teams like let's say the lakers with lebron and ad it's like you're not stuck to see that very often whereas you go over to the nhl and you always have a 90 95 100 point team especially out east it seems like there's always a really really good team in the wild card it's like you know obviously it's surprising but it doesn't shock me anymore to see teams like this especially because you know obviously there are injuries that bring back, bring down certain teams and all that. Like we do see, I don't know, just the parity in the NHL is incredible, and I don't know how they do it exactly. Probably salary cap related and all that. Um, but yeah, I, I would say I don't think the NBA is ever going to be there. Um, you know, you have to give them credit in the NHL for being able to keep a league with so much parity and so much randomness. Uh, obviously, RNG is not great for sports, but it is great for playoff hockey. So. Um, I don't know. I would definitely say that the NHL has the most parity by far of any of the leagues in general. It's like maybe the MLB comes close because there are some random things that happen. But uh, overall, I'd say the NHL's parity is just so, so, so different than than what you would expect 
out of hockey, especially because some of these teams, like Tampa is like a 130-point team in some years. And, and, you know, um, last year especially, I think people thought that they were no doubt the cup contender out of everybody. And then, boom, see ya, out of there. Yeah, I really like your observation there about the salary cap. Obviously, NHL having a hard salary cap. No way for any team to get over that. There's other ways around that in other sports. Baseball, you have luxury tax. Uh, same with NBA as well. And then NFL, you have potential for rollover cap, uh, which is not an option in the NHL. So uh, kind of a nerd answer there with the salary cap. But yeah, I think that was a good point there from Donnie. And then as well, uh, the, just the fact of the NHL playoff format. I think this is something that I really like about the NHL. The fact that they... Uh, orchestrate their playoffs in terms of the three division winners and then two wild cards. So you technically could have a situation where the quote unquote eight seed or the second wild card could still technically be the fifth best team in the conference. If that team was better than the other team's division leader, that is not a situation that happens often, but you get at least a little bit more chance that that quote unquote eight seed would be a better team um, than labeled an eight seed traditionally, um, or at least in the traditional one through eight seeding format. Yeah, I think it's interesting, especially because I-, I was skeptical when they went to this system, but I really think it brings the best teams into the league, uh, best teams in the league into the playoffs, which is just what you're looking for. Obviously, we see some teams get kicked out because of this rule, but um, most of the time, I'd say the NHL playoffs are the most exciting of any of the league's playoffs every year. We, we always see um, just a ridiculous amount of overtime games, it feels like. Um, evenly matched teams, whether it's one to eight or four versus five, we always have good matchups. And I think that's the most important part that people, um, they just, we just don't have in other leagues like the NBA, the matchups are not very close. Most of the time, most of the time they are there. It's a, almost a snooze fest to watch some of the NBA first round matchups. Whereas in the NHL, anything can happen. You can see anything you can see. Uh, maybe every series go to seven and be like, yeah, I know I could see that. I could expect it. Um, obviously it doesn't happen very often, but I don't know. The NHL has done a very good job with what they do in terms of uh, keeping um, talent level uh, at a good pace amongst 16, 18, 20 teams in the league. So where all of them are in similar categories, obviously you have the better teams, but um, anybody can win games in the NHL. And that's what we've seen. Yeah, good points there. Last thing thought on my mind about this is kind of just going off of what you just said there. But the fact that early in playoff series, like first or second round, in some of the other leagues, a lot of times you see sweeps or uh, quick series. But in the NHL, I think it's more common that you see seven-game series than you see sweeps. It's just not common uh, in hockey for, for a team to take four in a row. So um, I think the, all those factors kind of contribute to that. But uh, definitely a good observation there uh, related to the NHL as it relates to some of the other leagues. So uh, good thought there from Scott. Then Scott has one last thought that Donnie is not prepared for. He's got a off-podcast question here, but he says, Donnie, this one's for you from Scotty G. He says, would you rather listen to our friend Josh talk about ComEd for five no, hours no, every no, day no, the rest no. of your life? Whatever, whatever the other answer is. Whatever the other answer is, I don't care. Whatever it is. <laughs> I, fi- I figured whatever the other end of this would be tough to convince you, but he says, or every time the New York Rangers played the Columbus Blue Jackets, it would be an automatic loss for the Rangers, and that includes the playoffs. That's fine. That's good. Okay. With that. You're not. You're not Thank about. You. You're not about to hear Josh talking about ComEd again. That that is rest in peace. I don't care about ComEd. I don't give two shits about ComEd. Yet he comes on the podcast and he talks about ComEd when I've never heard of ComEd in my life, and he doesn't stop about ComEd. And Tampa Bay scores, and it, on the power. Oh play. my gosh! What chaos! And it's over. What chaos? And it's over. Who was it? And it t- Tampa goes on three. I have no idea. I looked over it. I just out of nowhere. Wow. I need to see. Jamie Ben is not happy in the penalty box. I've right got, uh, got TweetDeck pulled up. I'm waiting for Elliot Friedman to just tweet like, 
Shattenkirk for Tampa Bay. And there it is. Okay, Shattenkirk. He's got the answer. So uh, there we go. So shout out, shout out to Tampa. Logic. We we were just shitting on Dallas, shitting on Kadobin. So there we go. It's coming true finally for us. You know, if Kevin Shattenkirk was a Ranger, I'd be happy right now. But I'm even happier that it's on Tampa because this he is one game away from being a Stanley Cup champion. And, you know, props to him. Uh, he, he went through a lot. Uh, but, we'll get, yeah, we'll get back to the question here. Uh, Comed, sorry, I don't like you. I uh, just Josh has given you negative publicity to me, and I'm spreading it elsewhere. Um, I just, I just, I can't be asked. I really can't be asked at this point. Um, so, yeah, sorry. We we got Donnie fired up about Comed and the Lightning score. So hectic question there of you, Scotty. He's throwing things off balance. He wanted a uh, a non Twitter question for for Donnie, so he snuck that one in there. So uh, appreciate all of Scott's questions this week, as we do always. So thanks again to Scott. Move on. A couple other question askers this week. This one comes from our friend Steve at Anders IEE on Twitter. Big Islanders fan, so he's sad that the Islanders obviously are not in the position that the Lightning are in right now, but we'll ignore that. We'll answer his question here. Talking about the NFL, he says, what is your can't-miss football gambling pick this week? So football games, they're going on this Sunday, and I have a game in mind of a team that I am very fond of. As you know, if you've listened to this podcast, the Arizona Cardinals, I'm picking them. Minus five and a half at home against the Detroit Lions. This is this is the pick that I, I looked at every game, and I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm a fan of the Arizona Cardinals. They've looked really good so far at home. Only five and a half. I think they can win by at least six over Detroit this weekend at home. So that's what I'm going to go with, and then I'm going to give you one honorable mention pick. Um, Arizona's my lock, my, my can't miss, even though that, that doesn't exist. But that's what I'm going with. And then I'm giving you Vikings money line. They are two and a half point underdogs at home to the Tennessee Titans. Vikings have look, not looked too good so far early in the season, but I think they're a better team than what they've shown so far at home. I think they're going to bounce back against the Titans. So if you want a little bit more money, go Vikings money line. If you want the safe bet, Arizona minus five and a half. So that's what I got for you. Uh, you know, I was going to go with Arizona as well, but I had a backup just in case because I knew there is a there's just always yep. the Kyler Murray. I'm not betting against him. Um, I'm going to take Green Bay plus three right now. So Green Bay is currently the underdog against New Orleans. We haven't seen Drew Brees perform up to the level that we have hoped. Um, and meanwhile, Green Bay scores just a ridiculous amount of points, and I don't expect that to change this week. Um, looks like if the Raiders can pick on your defense, so can Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Uh, I'll take the Packers. Uh, it's currently. Uh, I guess New Orleans is favored by three points. Uh, I, I would say that Green Bay is safe up to five or six points here. Um, and I will go with the slight upset. I don't know if it's really an upset at this point, but, you know, uh, I'll give me Green Bay plus three. That's my lock. Take it to the bank uh, until you lose the money. Don't yell at me. I didn't mean it. Yeah, that should be an interesting matchup. Two of the NFC's best, but without their top receivers. No Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams is doubtful for that game. So uh, I like it, though. Packers have looked really good. Aaron Jones, Marquez Valdez, Scantling. Uh, some of the other players on the Packers have kind of picked up the slack. So uh, we'll roll with that for Steve there. Steve's been hammering all these bets picks this week. So uh, glad we could get those for him. Next question. Oh, yeah, Donnie, you got something here? No, I was going to say, you know, Steve, last week it didn't go so well a couple nights ago. But, you know, we're hoping for a bounce back this week. And I believe in Steve and his ability. That's all I'm saying. I believe we're in rooting his for ability. Him. We're, we're, we're pulling for uh, him. Oh, I am absolutely rooting for him. It's it's obviously devastating to watch, uh, you know, Gardner Minshew through uh, a pick on the goal line to lose money. You know, that's really upsetting. That, um, and I want to note, I would not advise that. I'm not advising you to buy stock on Gardner Minshew. He was a fifth round pick. He like like guard there there were too many people after after two games saying Gardner Minshew he like look out he's like taking over the NFL like no you got to relax a little bit okay Gardner Minshew he's not like just suddenly some like star quarterback he's a funny quarterback he's a fun quarterback to watch sometimes he makes exciting plays but he is not the franchise quarterback they're going for so do not bet on Gardner Minshew there you go 
I just gave you a can't-miss football pick and then a pick to stay away from. So stop betting Gardner Minshew if you're doing that. Yeah, I mean, meanwhile, Ryan Fitzpatrick literally had the best game of all time as, as a game-managing quarterback. He pulled a Tannehill and went out there and threw 90% of his passes complete. So, you know, props to him. You have to give Ryan Fitzpatrick credit. He is like 38, and he's still, he's still getting Yeah, no one off. fires in that, that tight slant quite like Ryan Fitzpatrick when he just rifles it to Devontae Parker for six yards right there. So, love watching that. But still, wake me up for the Tua Dolphins. That's what I'm waiting oh, for. Oh, wake me up for the Tua Dolphins. Absolutely. That's what we want. They're going to be exciting when, when the Tua Dolphins come out. So, uh, we're looking forward to that. So, uh, there you go. More football thoughts on that one. But we do have some more questions to get to right now. This one comes from our friend Brett at Barzell NHL. He says... Is Sam Darnold a bust yet? Will he ever be good? So interesting thought here from a Jets fan, but I'm going to go back. Me personally, I'm a big Sam Darnold fan. When he was coming out of college, he was my favorite quarterback in that draft when that consisted of Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen and Josh Rosen and then later Lamar Jackson. So obviously it turns out Lamar Jackson has been the best so far. Josh Allen probably next. But I think Sam Darnold has really just not benefited from the situation with the Jets. He has not had very good coaching. He's never really had a great playmaker on the outside. Robbie Anderson was good, but like, come on, he's still like a number two receiver at best. Not a very good O-line as well. So uh, I think it's a little early to, to be considering Sam Darnold a bust. I think we need to give him uh, a little bit more opportunity. And I think he has shown some positive out there. He had 13 starts in both 2018 and 2019. So fairly durable quarterback. And in his career, 38 touchdowns, 29 interceptions. So uh, not like some spectacular touchdown interception ratio, but again, on some pretty awful teams with the Jets. So uh, I still think Sam Darnold's the guy for the Jets for the foreseeable future. But yeah, I don't think he has also played so spectacularly that it's as much of a lock as I thought when he was coming out of the draft. Yeah, I agree with everything, but I have a follow-up question there. If I had told you at the beginning of the season, the Giants with Saquon Barkley hurt would still be a more exciting and a, a just a better team to watch than the Jets, mostly healthy. What would you have said? Because I think if you tell me Saquon Barkley is not going to play this year, I think the Giants are not. They're going to win 16. But at this point, the Jets are literally like the most depressing farce of a franchise with a coach that is just an absolute joke. I, I don't. If, if I had told you at the beginning of the year that if Saquon Barkley was going to be out for the whole year and the Giants would still be more exciting and a better team to watch, what would you have said? Yeah, I, I it's a big loss for the Giants to lose Saquon, but. I still feel like the Giants have better skill positions around Daniel Jones than the Jets have with, with uh, Sam Darnold now that Le'Veon is out as well for the Jets for a little bit. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, to your point, both teams, they're in just terrible situations between both New York football teams. So, uh, yeah, I mean, neither are teams that I'm really excited to be uh, turning on their offensive film. <laughs> Yeah, if you're scouting the Giants, just don't. If you're scouting the Jets, especially yeah, the advice. Jets, just don't. The NFC just, East. Just... As an Eagles fan, you don't want to be watching us either right now. Oh, uh, yeah, you know, uh, Carson, uh, you know, we, we've seen a lot of mediocrity from Carson so far. Um, and then, you know, uh, who wants to watch the Washington football team? Who wants to watch the Cowboys? The Cowboys, like, somehow sneak out these wins. It's just, there's so many jokes of a football team this year. It's just, you just, just sit there and just, just clap along and call it a day. Like, you know. Give me two wins. Wake me up for the draft. Fair. Yeah, Donnie, any other thoughts on uh, on Sam Darnold here? Where where do you kind of rank him on the uh, quarterback hierarchy? Oh, and uh, get him a new offense. with Get, get Adam Gase the fuck out. Come on. Yeah, like, that's big facts. We've, we've been over this multiple times. Adam Gase, he's just overstayed his welcome as a human being in the NFL. Like, I, I don't know. He's psychotic. He's insane. He's a crazy man who doesn't really do a good job. Um, So... so 
especially now when you have to develop your quarterback, at least the Giants, I feel like they have some direction. The Jets don't have direction. It's like we know at the end of the year he's gone. If he's around still, he has some dirt on their entire upper management, ownership, all that. Because he he doesn't deserve to be a head coach, let alone with some some weapons, some interesting weapons. Like he's got Sam Darnold, doesn't like Le'Veon Bell. Uh, for whatever reason, really did not like that signing, uh, Adam Gase. So at this point, you have to think as a Jets fan, it's just like mediocrity is something that you're just welcoming and it's going to happen for the next five, six, seven years if you keep doing this. And it's sad, obviously, because you'd like to see Sam Darnold just compete, but is there anything there on the current roster that's going to help him? And I'd say probably no, and then the coaches really don't help either. Yeah, in agreement with you on that, that the current coaching staff is not very good. But my one optimism with the Jets, the second half of Brett's question here, he says, will he ever be good? I like GM Joe Douglas. He came over from the Eagles uh, staff, so I'm a little bit more familiar with him. But I think he is a very good scout. I think he's going to do some good things for the Jets. They signed a good amount of offensive linemen and free agency. I'll be that maybe not great free agents, but I do think that is a good space uh, to be allocating some resources. And going back to the Jamal Adams trade, while you are selling one of the best players on your team, obviously I did really like that return, obviously getting two first-round picks. That's really going to help the development process for the Jets to kind of turn that page and rebuild a little bit when that time comes. So I do think there will be some light at the end of the tunnel for the Jets and Sam Darnold, but it's definitely not right now. So uh, yeah, if, if, if you're if you're holding out on Sam Darnold the bus, this is not the year really to help you on that. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll still give the Jets some time on that one. So uh, good thought there from Brad. I, I, you have to feel bad for just Jets fans in general. Last little thing here. The Jets fans have been through so much in the last couple of years, I feel like. It's like ever since the butt fumble, it's just been a little bit down, down, down. And now we're really hitting what could be a bottom point, which I thought they had already bottomed out, honestly. So I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, it's rough down there at MetLife Stadium this year, so that's what we got. But uh, yeah, thanks again to Brett on that one. Move on, two more question askers for this podcast. This next one comes from our friend Vin, fellow Rangers fan for Donnie. But here he's taking a shot at him. He says, Mr. Donnie on the horn, how do you feel that the Yankees are going to beat the Dodgers in the 2020 World Series? It's not going to happen. I don't think the Yankees, at this point, the Yankees are battling back. They are not the favorite anymore um injuries have left them in a very very mediocre spot and i don't know if aaron judge or Giancarlo stanton got hurt again would you be shocked because i definitely wouldn't i'd be sitting here like yeah um you know nothing surprising here uh, you have to feel bad for yankees fans i think because this is the year for them this should have been the year where they were the, the clear favorite out I, I don't know it's just like the AL East in general it's like you would have thought they would have just walked through I mean it's like Tampa and Toronto it's like they're good teams but at this point we've seen them struggle so hard to even compete I don't know it's just they're at a point where I don't think the Yankees are anywhere near the favorite and I do think there are teams that are stronger than them which coming into the year if you had said that people would have called you insane but it's like we've seen teams do it a lot more with less it's like that Rays roster is so piss poor yet they are they're incredible they're gonna win win the conference which is shocking to me um and meanwhile the Dodgers have been uh you have to realize you know Dodgers haven't had injuries but they've also had Bellinger hitting 190 200 for the year Muncie's hit 200 210 for the year uh it's not like these guys have performed and yet they still got 40 wins so uh I, I would say the Dodgers are definitely the favorite and if the Yankees did make it I don't think the Yankees would be able to beat them honestly yeah, I'm in agreement with you, especially on kind of that outlook there as it relates to the Yankees. I think before the season, they were definitely a team I was looking at that 
wow, I see a ton of talent and I think Aaron Boone's a good manager and I was high on the Yankees, but just kind of as this year's gone along, I know they've had a bunch of injuries and now some guys are starting to come back, but I just feel like the Yankees, they're just kind of missing that little extra push that I feel like they should kind of have. Like when obviously Donnie was talking about the rosters, as you relate to say like Tampa and Toronto in that division, it seems like the Yankees should have been uh, able to walk away with this with ease. So the fact that they've had a little bit more struggles than we kind of expected is a little surprising, but yeah, we got an expanded playoff, so I mean, we'll see how things go there. Obviously, just because you're the best team in the regular season doesn't guarantee anything in the playoffs. But I, I, I still like the Dodgers it, it, as we shift to more logical thinking here with this question. With with the Dodgers, they, you know, we're talking about a team that's been into the playoffs a lot. They've obviously went to that back-to-back World Series. They were in the playoffs last year. They win the NL East or NL West pretty much every year. So um, it's not like this is going to be something that's new to them. So. Um, I kind of forecast the Dodgers as a team that I expect to make kind of a deep run. I could see the Yankees getting to the World Series as well if that talent kind of gets there, but uh, I definitely don't feel as much of a lock as I felt about the Yankees uh, at the beginning of the year for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's like even pitching-wise, it's like Garrett Cole has not been what we've expected, although he's been very, very good. And if it comes to the playoffs and you have to rely on Tanaka to be insane in the playoffs again and all that, um, especially with the three-game series starting off against uh, them potentially playing the White Sox. You can see the White Sox really easily beating them, I think, at this point. I don't think that that's, that's out of the question at all. Yeah, in agreement on that. AL is a, uh, a very interesting... Uh, league. I mean, uh, both leagues are interesting because we're baseball fans. But uh, when it comes to, I just don't feel like there is just a runaway front runner. It kind of seems like the Yankees and the Rays and the Twins and the White Sox and the Indians even they're kind of just all clumped together. Uh, you can throw the Athletics and the Astros in there as well for some AOS. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a interesting uh, playoffs. Obviously, we we kind of broke that down a little bit earlier. So uh, yeah, Vin. I mean, obviously, Yankees fans they love talking shit. So we're not going to act surprised about that one. So. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see on that one, though. So uh, thanks to Ben on that one. Move on to our friend Josh. Donnie just ranted about Josh a little bit ago with Scotty G about ComEd. So no ComEd questions from Josh, so Donnie gets a little bit of a break. He wants to start with the Columbus Blue Jackets, of course. That's Josh's favorite NHL team. And he wants to. He asked us a few podcasts ago about wanting to get Johnny Goudreau, and now he wants the Blue Jackets to get Patrick Laine. So Josh is just obsessed with these wingers on teams in Canada and the Western Conference. So Donnie uh, and I were kind of thinking about this before. We're not really sure how the Jackets are going to land Patrick Laine. But if they were able to, I mean, I think that's a great fit. But uh, yeah, Donnie, any other thoughts on, uh, on how the Jackets could maybe potentially land Patrick Laine? Yeah, so we worked it out. Basically, uh, they have like $7 million to re-sign Dubois and Anderson. It's like, obviously, uh, they may trade Anderson from what we've been hearing. Um, but Dubois is going to need money. And I, they, I don't think they have the assets to get line A. It's like, I just, I don't see it. Especially with him being an RFA next year, that means you have to pay him the big bucks long term. And does is line A really excited about being a jacket? Like, does he want to be a jacket? I found Patrick line A and the jackets are like, they're, they're fired up to get me. I'm sitting there like, oh, Columbus. I go from Winnipeg to Columbus. It's like, you know, not really much of an upgrade there. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't see the Jackets being able to make a move. They just don't have the assets for it. Um, they don't have the cap space for it moving forward. Um, I don't know. There's just there's just nothing exciting about the Jackets at this point, like in terms of a long-term future thing, and I, I just don't see it. Um, Goudreau's probably more realistic at this point, I would say, but I, I don't think they're getting either. You know, you can quote this if I'm wrong, but I'm just going to go with probably not. Yeah, I am in agreement with you on that. I think when I look at the Jackets, I think kind of their top trade bait pieces away, you'd have to look at Josh Anderson, the restricted free agent winger. So there you could kind of see some parallel with line A, but 
Uh, I would also say Corpy Sallow as well uh, for a goaltending situation. So that's kind of where we were leaning with the Flame situation with Goudreau. But obviously Winnipeg having Connor Hellebuck, not as dire of a need for goaltending. So uh, I do think the Jackets should be looking to acquire more of those elite talents like Patrick Line. I mean, every team should want to acquire elite talents, obviously. But I think specifically the Jackets, they have a really nice structure where if they were able to get a few more superstars after having Panarin walk in free agency and trading a lot for Duchesne, who left in free agency as well. So uh, they've had a little bit of hit through that. But um, yeah, I, I think it's a good thought. I think the Jackets, like I said, they should be adding these kind of players. I don't think Line A is the specific guy uh, that the Jackets will end up with, though. Yeah, that's fair. I don't. I don't see it. Um, I don't see the Jackets doing much of anything massive this year. So, um, if you're expecting Petrangelo or something like that, um, just, I don't know. Tone down your expectations a little bit. The Jackets are in a bad spot. Their prospect pool stinks. Like they, they just got to work on the future. Yeah, no second or third round pick for the Jackets this year as well. So, uh, draft pick compensation not as much of a logical option for them in trades as well. So. Thought I would note that, but uh, there you go. Some some jackets thoughts. We're not we're not too crazy about lining. Give us give us some other guys and other trade targets, Josh, for that one. But uh, that's our thought on that. Next thought from Josh, shifting over to the NFL now. He says, "Is James Robinson of the Jacksonville Jaguars the best running back in the NFL with an Ivy League caliber education?" So backstory here: James Robinson. If you're not familiar. He's kind of just come on for the Jags at a nice game on Thursday night, whatever. But he went to Illinois State, which is where Josh went. So he always jokes that Illinois State is the Harvard of the Midwest. So, I mean, sure, we'll we'll allow you to laugh and have your jokes on that one. But Ivy League caliber education. Donnie, you actually you actually have another NFL running back that can counter James Robinson on this. Yeah, you know, Kyle Juszczyk, he's been doing it for a while. You have to give him credit. He actually went to an Ivy League school and not just an Ivy League wannabe school. So that's another thing you have to kind of uh, you have to embrace that a little bit. Like, you know. Uh, we, we respect Harvard. We don't respect uh, Illinois State or whatever, whatever we're talking about here. <laughs> the Redbirds. Like, yeah, the, the Redbirds can, can go. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 you know, props to James Robinson. He had a good game. Um, I don't think he's a long-term option at running back. You know, I'm glad that he's, uh, he's making you proud, but he's not making me proud. And so I don't really care. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll roll with that. I mean, the Jags. I just said, Gardner Minshew, he's not your franchise quarterback. James Robinson, I'm not sure he's your franchise running back either. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's doing well so far. So, I guess, respect to James Robinson. But, uh, yeah, maybe a question mark on the Ivy League caliber education part. But, uh, yeah, funny thought from Josh. Loves talking about Illinois State as well. So, uh, good thought. Next one he's got for us. He's got, would you rather have Mr. Brightside or JJ Ortega-Whiteside playing wide receiver for your favorite team? So uh, backstory on this one, Josh sent me a Twitter thread about receivers that the Eagles would rather have than JJ Ortega-Whiteside because he has just been absolutely terrible since they drafted him out of Stanford in the second round last year. They took him over players like DK Metcalf and Terry McLaurin and AJ Brown. So yeah, not good. Even just a year and a half after he made that pick. But yeah, there was just a threat. It was like Terrell Owens was another one, like current age Terrell Owens, like 40 year old, 43 year old Randy Moss was on that list. So uh, a lot of thoughts. But yeah, JJ has not been good for the Eagles. Uh, in a, a receiving core for the Eagles that is not good at all. They can't even get a second-round pick to make positive plays for him. So, uh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of negative thoughts there as it relates to J.J. Ortega-Whiteside for the Eagles. So, uh, yeah, unfortunate for sure. I have literally no opinion 
on this question, and that's where I'm going to leave it. I have zero answer for you. Uh, I don't want to talk about bad true. Eagles receivers any longer than we need to. Jalen Rager just got injured as well, so it's really just disaster time in Philly. But we got one last question for this podcast. It again comes from Josh, and it's a funny question, of course. That's how we end our podcast. You and the podcast folks know the routine. So here we go. Would you rather eat lettuce or punch a child in the face? So, I mean, Josh, he's, Josh is not a lettuce fan, but man, we're, we're, we're talking about hitting kids in the face, man. I mean, just like, maybe that, that's where we draw a line. Honestly, I think this is where we need to stand up and you're like, all right, you know, we're, we're, we're getting a little out of line. Like maybe lettuce isn't your favorite food. I'm personally a lettuce fan. I'll put lettuce on my burgers or, or in my tacos or whatever the situation is. I'm okay with lettuce. So I'm, I'm, I'm content with, with consuming lettuce than punching a child in the face. But I mean, Josh, like, like what's going on here? Donnie, Donnie, give it, shed some light on what's going on. I would honestly rather answer questions about mittens <laughs> and listen to him talk about lettuce. Uh, it, it's just disgusting how much he hates lettuce. You know, it's like, I'd rather eat lettuce than answer these questions. And that's all I'm going to leave it at. Um, I need you to come with some better material next week because it's getting old here. It's it's getting, I'm getting tired of hearing it, honestly. Josh, like, figure it out here. Just for me. Do, do something for me, please. Yeah, is a uh, the the lettuce hatred from Josh. It it never fails to disappoint. He he made his his Twitter handle. I hate lettuce too on Twitter. If you wanna if you wanna share thoughts with Josh about how he would rather, he's implying here that he would I'm rather hit it. kids in the face than than hit lettuce. Disgusting. I'm sick disgusting. of it. Not what we want. Not what we disgusting. support on the Rodeo on the Horde. Simply podcast. disgusting. Yeah, it's 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 terrible. Yeah. I mean, Check West. Obviously, you've made it this far in the podcast. You would obviously rather eat lettuce than than hit cats in the face. So we know that that's obviously a given. So we just need you to come on the podcast and discuss. Yeah, you know. Um, with that being said, um, I th- think it's about time to round this one up here. Um, thank you everybody for the questions, except Josh. Josh, you can. I just need. I need him to figure it out. RK, you got to get him in line here, please. Next week, tell him hey. We need we need to help our, our guy Josh out by getting the Eagles to win. The Eagles are zero two, and now we're getting questions about hit kids in the face. So I mean, we we got to figure I, it no, out. Maybe it's his fault. Maybe if he eats lettuce, they'll win games. Who knows? What what? I mean, hey, we can't rule know. it out. We really can't. Yeah, yeah, you can't prove that it's not going to work. Um, but yeah, obviously, you know, um, Stanley Cup could be over by the next time we talk. Probably should be. It will be over by the next time we talk. Um, so that that's exciting news. That means our off seasons are starting. You know, the Rangers are getting the number one pick. So I'm fired up. Um, NBA, NBA finals should be starting or, um, we should know who's going to be in it by the time we have the next podcast. So that's big. Um, but other than baseball that, playoffs. again, yeah, baseball playoffs oh, are yeah. going to be full, full. We're just, we're fired up here. NFL season is in full, full storm here. Everybody's injured. Uh, nothing matters anymore. My life is, is less important now than it was last week before Saquon got hurt. Um, but yeah, uh, we appreciate everybody who is asked questions. Obviously Scotty G, you are a shining star asking us questions that actually matter so uh real props to you i appreciate it um brett with a question this week vin with a question this week out of nowhere the boys are just the boys are buzzing um josh ruined my day that's okay but again ask your questions if you have any for us if you want to hear what we think about anything that isn't lettuce related please do ask us those questions we really appreciate it uh, everybody that listened to the end of course very much appreciated i know we have uh scotty g that's about it. At this point. But uh, you know, <laughs> prove us wrong. Let it. us know. Tweet at us at Roth Podcast. Let us know you made it to the end. We want to know. Yep, yep. Uh, Shaq West, if you want to come on the podcast, man, let's figure it out here. Let's let's do something. I believe in you. You believe in us. You know, obviously, you're you're a loyal listener. Um, 
but other than that, I think it's about time we wrap it up. Uh, it's been it's been a while. Uh, I really enjoyed this podcast as per usual, and we will talk to you again next week. Peace, everybody. Yeah. If I can pay my bills, I'm good. I'm coming over. Found a message in my brother. Your son is coming up. By the bill, by ill, by boo. What you already saying? You ain't nothing but a baby. Your fear is growing up. Listen here, I say my dude. And what you call it? It was heaven at the bottom. And peace from throwing up. By the bill, by ill, by boo. What you already saying? You ain't nothing but a baby. Your fear is growing up. I think I do this shit for real.